Boat Talk is brought to you in part by Captain Yo's Flaming Fish Performance Models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net. Little ships for big kids. Just about 10 o'clock straight up. Stay tuned for Boat Talk. Good morning, good morning. It's uh, second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU. This is, uh, Boat Talk is a call-in radio show for people contemplating things in naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And uh, we also are uh, cohabitators, I guess we'll call it, of the website, which is boattalk.org, a, a website that you can navigate to with your pinky. Uh, a pinky is a kind of a boat. Yeah, I think we should probably explain what a pinky is. Want to do that first? We'll start off with it. Yeah, a pinky. Uh, I would think a uh, a pinky schooner. A pinky schooner is right. Yes. I've done a little thing. research. I can't say I can get all this out of the top of my head. Yeah, kind of a colonial uh, look. And what it is 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 uh, they would take the top sides as they come aft, and instead of squaring off on a transom, they kind of extend out behind and pinch together. Right. Yep. I guess the Spanish word for that is called pinking. When the two uh, is the bulwarks that actually come together, sort of out the back end there in the air. Yeah, imagine you let them run wild past the end of the boat and then pinch them together on the end with a clothespin. That's yep. that's called pinking. Pinking, yep. yeah. That's why they're called pinky schooners. Um, I was looking for some pictures of it, and I went to the uh, Wooden Boat Forum. They have some excellent pictures of pinky schooners there that explain much better than we can we can do it. Pictures worth a thousand words, but if you go to uh, woodenboat.org, I believe it is, and go to their forum, and you'll see all kinds of pictures on Pinky Schooners. And Boat Talk is a call-in show, 1-866-625-9378. We have a phone call already. So oh, excellent morning for phone calls. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. 1-866-625-9378. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Captain Yo in Tremont. I thought Captain I was wondering Yo. about you and pinkies. I couldn't help it. The pinky schooner is definitely dear to my heart. Uh, my pinky schooner, Annie McGee, I launched uh, end of August, and she's now in Southwest Harbor. I'm beginning to think about hauling out because it's getting colder, but I'm going to go sailing this afternoon. I just wanted to mention a historical note. In the 16th century, the Dutch government levied attacks on vessels, and it was assessed by the width across the stern. Well, clever Dutch shipbuilders immediately started building vessels with very narrow sterns, with the bulwark swept up aft the rudder post. Now, these Dutch vessels uh, came across the Atlantic, and they were some of our earliest pre-colonial colonists, you might say, running fishing and drying uh, stations. Uh, Damaris Cove Island is one of them. And uh, the hardy New Englanders soon found that those tail feathers swept up aft the rudder post was a very handy rig because you can lower the boom onto it and it acts as a boom crutch. They would put the trawl tub there because it was aft the main sheet and the lines could run out uh, without fouling. And it was also what they call the seat of ease. Uh-huh. When I bought Annie McGee, she had a little plank running across the tail feathers aft the rudder post. 
It didn't have a hole in the middle, but the colonial ones did. And uh, as a matter of fact, I use my tail feathers that way, too, particularly for the ladies. So I wanted to add that historical note, and uh, thank you both for putting on this program, and thanks to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Thanks, Joe. Is that where a uh, poop rail comes from? <laughs> a little, very small poop deck. No, no. Poop deck, poop does, rail, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I can tell you some stories about that, too, but I'm, I don't know if uh, yeah. it's appropriate. Yeah, it I doesn't fit the word head for sure, does it? No. Uh, <laughs> the head was uh, uh, traditionally up forward. Yeah. Yeah. But... We're talking function now, but then everybody on the boat's looking at look you. At, though. Look at, we've only got about five minutes in the boat talking. Look how far we've degraded already. Oh, good lord! Yep. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. If you'd like to uh, raise the level of conversation, that would be very good. Uh, great morning to call this morning. We were uh, once again hoping our friend Giffy Full would be sitting in the chair at the end of me yeah, here I'm this morning, he's but not he, here. yeah, he hasn't showed up and. Uh, we have a couple other things. We got some news stuff here, but nothing of any particular interest. And and the season's over, Alan. Have you noticed that? Uh, not categorically over, but pretty well, much over. As Captain Yo said, he's going sailing this afternoon. There are a few uh, of the frostbite crowd. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I haven't given up either. But uh, to me, it was it was uh, just started out with a air of uh, unrealistic tragedy to it because. Some of the people I take care of, they're taking their boats out before Labor Day. Mm. And the summer's over. Well, mm. if you remember back before, it was just gorgeous. And the summer wasn't over at all. But but the kids are all done. Uh, yeah. The kids are done with their summer. They're gone. They're gone back to school. And the grandkids ain't going to be around. So the boat's coming out of the water. And, and uh, you know, that's it. And then the weather does go downhill. We've had a, at least one good blow. Uh since Labor Day in the, in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you have to start thinking about that, and you also have to be a lot more safety conscious because the fact is you can a- end up in the water, and nowadays there's no time to be in the water. That's true, and there's a lot less people around, too, to uh, help you out if you need help, too. Yeah, you've got to be more safety conscious. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm kind of old school on wearing life jackets and stuff. I, I admit that. I... I uh, you know, haven't got to the point where I've got myself an inflatable harness yet that I, I go around everywhere. I always have a plan. Um, I'll yeah, say, don't I'll fall say in. that. Yep, uh, that's first. Uh, I do swim like a fish. I come the closest I, uh, this spring to falling overboard I think I ever have in probably forever and uh, bringing a, a Cape Dory down from Millbridge to Belfast. And I went out around, I went uh, to go around the end of the boom which was kind of swung outboard a little bit. And Cape Dory is a little smaller boat than a 28-footer. I'm, you know, I'm used to 40, 50, 60-footers. And my weight had a lot to do with it. The boom was outboard uh, just a little bit of the end of the boat. And, and as he says, you should have seen your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I stayed with the boat. But, uh, again, I could have very well ended up uh, overboard there. And, and then what do you do? Yeah, it's pretty hard to swim faster than your boat going away from you. No, and I swim like a fish, but, uh, you know, at uh, uh, low temperatures, uh, hypothermia is uh, definitely an issue with going sailing nowadays. I was going to go out the other night on my catamaran. It was just howling, and I'm looking for a little thrill, and then I said to myself, this might not end well, you know, and discretion. 
That's a fact of going out on the ocean. You're, you're just a moments away from tragedy at any time. Yeah, got to use some discretion, especially in the rump season. If you have uh, pulled your boat out of the water, uh, small or big, you got to think about how you want to take care of it for the winter and what it's going to look like when you want to use it again in the spring. And one thing I would recommend is that you put it away clean. Yes, yes. It's a lot easier to clean it while the grass is still fresh, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, put it away clean, polish stuff, uh, you know, uh, even wax and, and uh, varnish is, uh, you know, not out of line before you uh, uh, store a boat. You know, the cleaner it goes in, the cleaner it goes out. And the other thing I would say is cover it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, especially if you're going to be leaving it outdoors. Yeah. I mean, if it's in a shed, it might be okay, but... <clears throat> nope, sheds. Uh, I would I would say uh, covered right there, but you got to cover the boat, especially if it's anywhere near a tree. Yeah, you know, uh, trees aren't supposed to be over boats in, in the yeah. natural environment, and uh, there's a lot of uh, just organic stuff comes off a tree, and you don't want your boat to be a compost site. No, no, it's tr- boats and gutters are amazing how they attract yeah. leaves and pine needles. Yeah, and uh, nowadays with the price of your was a uh, virgin blue poly tarp, you know, that wonderful material that is uh, so utilitarian. It's so cheap. Uh, you can get them at Martin's, I believe, for, you know, uh, just really, really cheap if you go the blue plastic tarp. For, uh, yeah. Anybody can afford to throw a blue plastic tarp over anything. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. Well, yeah. you, you got to really want to have it so it's at least peaked enough to be able to shed water. Well, uh, we can talk about that, too. The first thing, uh, you're going to put a blue plastic tarp over it. Get some carpet underlay or something, and where the hard spots are in the corner, you got to put a padding underneath That's it. A good point. Yeah. Or it's just going to poke right through. It's just going to poke right through, even if you go upgrade and, and get the silver ones, or you reinforce your blue one with some good duct tape, you know. Uh, you got to pad underneath the cover there. And the last uh, little tip I'd give you on uh, storing a boat is it is good to peek it up. So it's nice to have a backbone. And uh, here's a really easy way to do a backbone, any size boat whatsoever. Get yourself some strapping, mm-hmm. uh, one by three strapping. And sheetrock screws. Sheetrock screws and some construction adhesive would be extra points, but it's not really necessary. And we're going to lay out um, two thicknesses of strapping that are longer than the boat by, uh, you know, five, ten feet anyway. And, well, you know, again, talking a boat with some size. wants to be a little bit longer than the boat. We're going to screw these two pieces of strapping together, and you now have a very long, flexible batten that, again, uh, you can build it curved or you can uh, build it flat and then just uh, put a stick under the middle of it and brace that. And, again, that'll make an arched backbone, which also makes the tarp drape a little bit better sometimes. Mm -hmm. Hard to drape a a square tarp over a a curvy boat. A lot of people will tie little bits of a line from the backbone down to your your rails or your your, um, lifelines or something like that to sort of hold the tarp up too. Well, that's one of the other things about storing a boat. Have you ever seen a boat that was tied up right, Alan, or or, uh, Uh, (laughs) was tied up so you could get into it easily? Have you come across some Chinese puzzles? Very few, yeah. Yeah, uh, you can't have too many strings. And then the old... uh, Fantastic uh, adage, if you don't know how to tie a knot, tie a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, know? the fisherman's knot, yes. Well, like I say, if you can't tie a simple knot, people will just, uh, keep, just keep keep <laughs> knotting stuff, and you can't get them back undone. Yeah. So, uh, again, storage season, very critical. 
to have the boat so when you want it again next time, it's pretty much waiting for you or it's ready to put the coat of varnish on or, or just throw some wax on it or, or paint mm. the bottom and throw it overboard. Uh, speaking of varnish, too, is if you're going to be putting a tarp over it, too, you want to be able to pull the tarp fairly tightly down over any rails or anything that has varnish on it, too, so it doesn't chafe, you know, with the wind. Yep. As I said, padding, I think, is just absolutely crucial. I'm uh, about to replace a cover, or I'll, I'm going to put a cover over a cover that has gone on the corners. Mm-hmm. And there's no sense just doing it again. I'm, like say, going to pad it up yeah. this time. We used so. to scrounge it from companies that actually put down carpeting. that They'd have some scraps left over quite often, and you just go take a bunch of their scraps and cut them up. I had a regular thing in Ellsworth, a carpet uh, store there. I, I used to, uh, first I'd go uh, just looking at the dumpster, then I knocked on the door, uh, you know, and, oh, they were glad to know me. They had all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's recycling. Yeah. Uh, one more note on storing boats while you give the phone number. 1-866-625-9378. Wooden boats. Wooden boats. Yes. They dry out. They sh- yeah, when they're not in the water. Yeah, and then they... And they, out of the rain. And then they uh, swell up with moisture when you put them back in. And that shrinking and swelling is not really good for them. Yeah. All the movement of, of the wood... It's kind of counterproductive, mm-hmm. and that's one reason boats need to be refastened. That's why people like to store them on dirt floors that you can keep some moisture up. Well, you, again, uh, the idea, that's exactly the idea I was getting at here, Alan, is if you have a wooden boat, um, let's let's uh, just use Annie McGee for an example. Uh, Yo called earlier. He has a pinky schooner. She's mm-hmm. She is salty. Annie McGee is... is She's just a treat on the eyes, and salty is a very good adjective about a boat. <laughs> yeah. And she's a salty little schooner. 36 feet is not long for a schooner. Schooner represents the rig, mm-hmm. which is uh, two-masted with the small, shorter mast being forward of the, of the uh, taller mast. And you can put that rig on a dinghy if you want, but schooners are, are generally a little bit bigger than 36 feet. But she's salty. She's beautiful. She was, I believe, three years out of the water. Oh. Yeah, and in that, and just launched uh, again the end of the summer. Uh, it took her a little while to swell back up. Hmm. Yeah, I saw her while, while she was out, and it didn't look like the uh, planks were that gappy. But I guess obviously they must have been somewhat. You wouldn't think, and uh, water's pretty thin, you know. Oh, yeah. It'll go in places you wouldn't suspect. Especially down, yeah, a few yeah. feet. Yeah. Um, so anyway, now she's uh, all swelled back up, and the uh, thing would take her back out of the water again, store her for the winter, and the best thing would be to keep as much of that moisture in the boat as possible to, to keep the wood, uh, again, from shrinking and swelling, shrinking and swelling, uh, you know, kind of a vicious cycle there. What I like to do is uh, I'll paint the bottom of the boat before I put it away for the winter instead of in the springtime. Mm-hmm. The, the bottom paint... In small part, at least being a bit of a moisture barrier. Huh. Yeah. And uh, okay. I'm also about to go into the bilge of a couple wooden boats and, and uh, re-red lead those on the inside because membrane has two sides. Just right. paint the outside yeah. is uh, not, the, not the entire picture. Um, you should have a happy bilge that is uh, hopefully, you know, sealed somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully not with the old motor oil, but that will happen too. So. <laughs> Um, we are doing boat talk this morning, and we love to talk to you about any time. So we're getting to the issue of when you go back and, and re-red lead down in the bilge, your wood's all wet. 
you know, how are you going to, as you say, most some engine oil too. Um, how good is that red lead really going to stick? That's a little bit of a, of a uh, you know, uh, you we're talking about trying to keep moisture in the wood and painting moist wood is mm-hmm. not a good thing. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there. Um, yep. Uh, again, I wouldn't paint it when it was wet to the touch. Like, I wonder if everybody's going to ever come up with a latex base red lead. That the real red there. lead paint is kind of hard to get nowadays, as, yeah, you, as you might uh, pretty toxic. rightly <laughs> suspect. Yeah, uh, being lead, the operative word. The lead reason you put red lead paint in the bilge of a wooden boat is, is I believe, is a fungicide. Yeah, yeah, I think so. A preservative, probably not just fungus too. Yeah, and if you see, if you look into the bilge of your boat, and it's uh, looking a little reddish orange, reddish orangey. That's that's uh, generally that's it. the red lead paint. Yeah. Um, Kirby Paint down to Gloucester, Mass., I believe, still makes it. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Gloucester Paint or Kirby yep. Paint, yeah. Other than that, uh, it's getting hard to get, and I uh, don't know if there are other substitutes. I, uh, speaking of other substitutes, had been using a uh, latex bottom paint hmm. on a little wooden boat for a while. And this year we went back to the real real poison bottom paint, you know, the, the regular oil-based stuff. Um this latex paint was a, an ablative. Uh, uh, ablative meaning that it, it kind of rubs off um, as as the uh, season goes. The outer layer is always kind of shedding. Yeah. One way that it keeps critters and and uh, uh, things from growing on the boat. Um, it was like painting mayonnaise for one thing. <laughs> oh, okay. And you could not get that stuff to you know you roll it on and then you follow it up with a brush. You you can't get that stuff uh, very okay. smooth at so all. So it wasn't a racing surface at and all. And it kind of came off like snowflakes, kind of mm-hmm. off the you know uh, like frost off the top of uh, just really didn't stick all that great to the wood. And it did an okay job of keeping the boat unfouled, but the boat has a very short season and a you know. Mm. So it's hard so to it's say. So it's got some issues still. Yeah, you know. Oh, well. Mixed review on that one for we me. First have, time I ever tried it. We Phone's have, ringing. Yep, we have one. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, Al, Johnny. How you doing? Hey, Johnny. Hey, you guys know that the world's largest private yacht is going to be in Bar Harbor tomorrow? World's largest? Uh, what would be the world's largest private yacht? That's probably quite a competition, actually. 600 and some odd feet. It looks, to me, look like one of those uh, Caribbean line uh, cruise ships. But, uh, no, this is a private one. It's called the World. The, what else would you call it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, they didn't say if Mitt was going to be on board, but I'm sure Biff and Muffy will be. Hmm. So, if you want to see the largest private yacht, the one percenters are, are arriving to Bar Harbor tomorrow. I'd be uh, very curious of a couple of things. Uh, who's the owner? Uh, what is the boat doing here right now? It's it's uh, not always because the owner wants to go to Bar Harbor. Um, what flag is on the boat? Uh, what flag is on the boat? Uh, it's it's um, this has a hundred and thirty private families. Private families. That it's it's kind of like a condo on board. It's nineteen different countries who occupy it. It's a timeshare? It's a timeshare. Time <laughs> so How much you. to get in, Johnny? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't know, but I'm going to the bank. Uh, you know, and I did, I did read once that an elderly woman found out that it was cheaper for her to stay on a, on a ship going around the world than to go to an old folks' home. It was better. They, they handled her better. She had uh, everything that she ever wanted. The beds were changed every day, great food. <laughs> and uh, she's still out there, I guess, sailing around. 
So if you want to see the largest, there, it's going to be in, in Baja tomorrow. So, Johnny, do you know if it's going to be off the, the actual harbor or is it going to be up by the uh, former Blue Nose Ferry Terminal? Uh, you know, the last couple ones that they had, they were, all, they were all on the other side of the Porcupine, so I would say it would be near the ferry terminal. I'm guessing so, too. Yeah, but 600 and... Well. Yeah. Wow. You'll be able to see it pretty clearly. Yes, without a doubt. Yeah. So there you go. Just want to give you a little info from Bahaba. All right. Thank another, you, Another one of our uh, friends uh, was looking down towards Bar Harbor from Hancock Point uh, just the other week and, and remarked upon the incongruous sight of an extraordinarily large uh, cruise ship sitting against the bay there. Yeah. And it, the scale of those things uh, just kind of... They are large. Yep. And here's from the Bangor Daily News. we got another phone call first. Let's go to that one. All right. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, good morning. This is uh, Bill Buchholz over in Camden. Hi, Uh, Bill. Hi. Uh, Back to your your red lead issue. Um, I've been having great luck with a a paint to replace red lead. It's a Pettit metal primer. It's Rust Lock, um, number 6980. And uh, it goes on really easy. It's thinner than, than red lead. And it's an amazing moisture barrier. And it goes on wood. goes on wood, yeah. Mm. Russell, it's an oil-based paint? Oh, yeah. It's oil-based. It stinks to high heaven. Oh, that's a good, good sign. Yeah. That's a good yeah. sign. Yeah. And I've used it on green wood a lot, and it doesn't check. It just, it just stays so it tight. Does, it does seal it then, huh? Yep, it does. Yeah, that's, that's and you can get it anywhere. You can get it at Hamilton, and um, it's not that expensive. So. It's Pettit. What's, what's the variety, Pettit? It's Pettit Rustlock. Rustlock, huh? And it's it's silver gray. I've been using it for oh, a good ten years now, and just um, I think it's great. Oh, silver gray. Yeah, I like that yeah. better than orange myself. Well, the orange is traditional and change always. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't always fart. get to pick the colors. Let's put it that way. You know, yeah. so changing colors always uh, that could be an issue. That's yeah, but really... it, is, it is cheap and it's accessible and um, works. Okay. Really interesting, Bill. Yeah. 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 Great. Very good. Okay. Thanks for the show, boys. Thank you, Bill. 1-866-625-9378 is the uh, telephone number around here. If you don't give us a call, we'll just talk to ourselves. And it would be better if you give us a call this morning. Oh, yeah. Morning. We're yeah. doing well with the phones right now. So let's just keep that up. 1-866-625-9378. Speaking now, of those uh, cruise ships over to Bar Harbor, the uh, cruise ship industry only started coming to Maine in, in the late 80s and early 90s, and uh, up 25%. Uh, cruise ships, uh, uh, there's been 119 of them scheduled for Bar Harbor this year. Wow. And that ranges from uh, smaller cruise ships that are only 100-odd feet long to the big uh, mega cruise ships as well, 119 visits. Yeah. Some of these cruise ships have 1,000 crew members, let alone several thousand passengers, who all descend on the on the town at one time and all do... Uh, you know, radius little things. The ones that walk only get a certain radius. Okay? Right. The ones that get on the quick buses, they get a certain ra- And if you're in that radius, I bet it's happy time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Although they probably a little overwhelming. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Here comes the crowd. They ask funny questions, but we'll. that's another story for another time. We have uh, two phone calls already. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey there. Adam here from North Haven. Hi, Adam. Hey, guys. Hey, nice show you got. Oh, thanks. Yeah, hey, I got a question. Um, you guys know of any like work in sail, like cargo work in sailboats, either in Maine or other other places? Hmm. No, not right off. It was the pride of Baltimore, wasn't it? Um, 
No, I don't know of any working ones. Do I remember? Um, who's that fellow in Bar Harbor who wanted to have sort of a a, a, a cargo the boat that went from Bar Harbor down east down to uh, Machias and Eastport? Not familiar with that one. Um, I don't think it ever flew though. I used uh, to be involved with a scow schooner named Lily of Tisbury, which uh, used to work around uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard. Uh, down that way, and then uh, I don't know what she used to do. And there was always the uh, famous John F. Levitt built down in Thomaston in the, in the late 70s during the gas crisis, uh, sunk on its maiden voyage. That's what I was trying to think of, yeah. not, the, not the Pride of Baltimore. Yeah. What are you thinking, Adam? Oh, I just, living on the island here, you know, we uh, it's pretty hard to sometimes to get stuff on and off the island, and I figured with gas prices being so high and the ferry rates going up, you know, it might be a might be an opportunity opportunity for someone to to do something like that in the summertime, move some you know organic vegetables around, or maybe firewood in the fall or something like that. It'd be kind of neat. So I just wondered if anyone was doing it yet. I guess no. No, I wouldn't say so. There are, of course, a bunch of companies that run private boats that transport. For instance, they're redoing the airport out to Matinicus, and uh, there's a boat that goes back and forth with three dump trucks on it. They're trying to build up uh, the gravel out there. And uh, you know the island transporter uh, uh, kind of thing. So sure, yeah. I was thinking more sail, you know, because the price of fuel was getting so high. Um, the, you know, it's gas on the island here's um, five bucks a gallon, and diesel's diesel's um, not far behind it. So I'm just curious, guys. Why couldn't you find a niche market? And and I think that's what it would be—a niche, you know. Sure, yeah. But you'd yeah. have to figure out what the niche was and uh, be very careful to to exploit it. And, you know, a uh, little tricky when you have, uh, again, I don't know a better word for it, a niche niche market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, right. Then you'd think that uh, the most valuable freight, when you get right down to it, Adam, is people. And now you're, yeah, yeah. Now you're in the headboat business, you know. Right, right. Well, yeah, the schooners do a good job out here, you know. I'm a lobster fisherman out here. We're out in the Bay Holland today, and, and uh, you know, those guys are getting done. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, you see these boats go by, and they're people are carrying a lot of cargo and a lot of, you know, a lot of lot of room and stuff. So just just curious if anyone was up to it, but I guess not. Maybe someone will call in and mention something about it later. Well, that's Yeah, that's one of the good things about Boat Talk. There are lots of ears right out there, so we might be able to answer that question for you in a little bit. Right on, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, we would have asked him uh, how the lobster season's going, but the phone's ringing a couple times here. Yeah, it's a busy he day. Pro- he probably got a pot coming. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Um, my name's Norman Schultz. Hi, Norman. I know Mike pretty Hi. well. I know morning, you. Norm. Yeah, I know you, Norm. Um, my father-in-law was Earl Rummery. He built, uh, or his company built 700 wooden boats in his day. Down yeah, in Rummery Shipyard it was called, right? Yeah, and Rundle Shipyard. Were that right owners but uh when he launched a wooden boat you were not allowed to start the engine for several days until the boat swelled up his logic was the vibration from the engine would uh, damage the fasteners and the planking huh wow i like that attention to detail that's a man that's that's thinking about attention it, it might even work loose the uh the caulking that's though. what i was yeah, thinking yeah. not the not the fastenings i was thinking more of the seams but yeah, yeah. That, that's a good point yeah, why not let it sit and, and uh, again, tighten up, get where it wants to be, and then load the vibration on it? Because um, there was a little article, uh, I just read it in the Wooden Boat magazine, about uh, 
why Maine lobstermen prefer wooden lobster boats and, and a wooden boat in general absorbs vibration, especially from an engine and a working boat. And there's a lot of vibration being absorbed there. You you put a diesel engine in inside of a drum. Imagine uh, it's exactly what you're doing when you put it in a wooden oar, especially a fiberglass boat. Yep. Boy, pretty interesting. Your uh, granddad was it, Norm? No, my father-in-law. Father-in-law. Yep. Nice. Earl Rummery. Nice. That's where I first started working on boats. Earl uh, in the main. There's main ball uh, boat builders hall of fame. He is. I would think he'd be a candidate, yes. Good oh, no, he's already there. Good to know. Yep. Well, thanks for the show. No, I'm glad you're out there, man. Good to hear from we you. really appreciate listening to you guys. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Norm. 1-866-625-9378 if you'd like to make a call in the Boat Talk. About halfway through Boat Talk this morning. Somebody else standing by there? I saw the light flashing. Nope. 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 We got a little void here in Boat Talk. And we should mention, though, halfway through that this is Community Radio, WERU-FM. That is the sole source for Boat Talk. Here's a uh, nice little item from the uh, Bangor Daily News once again. The Bath Maritime Museum right down there on the river. Uh below Bath, Maine, on the Kennebec River and, and the site of the old uh, uh, shipyard there, has been voted the uh, one of the ten best marine museums in the world. In the world? In the world. Whoa. Yes, uh, number seven out of the top ten. Hmm. Uh, the uh, Bath uh, Maritime Museum down there is 50 years old. They get about 50,000 visitors a year, mostly by word of mouth. You don't see much signage or promotion for that. Well, you're right. I guess I'll agree with that. Yeah. It's a pretty good little trip. The uh, It's very, uh, uh, they got a nice hunk of property down there, and they got a lot of old buildings, and every building's got something different in it. And you wander around there and, and kind of discover stuff. I would recommend it. Also, our friend James Nelson. We did a show with uh, Jim Nelson a long time ago. He's a uh, historical novelist, uh, and he ri- has written a couple of uh, uh, non-fiction uh, Books where he's used his research about the revolution to write uh, uh, Washington's Navy was one of them. Oh yeah, and we uh, interviewed him about that and uh, how the the uh, how George Washington realized that uh, you know if he didn't use the boats he wasn't going to fight the war to his full potential. Washington's Navy, Jim Nelson, he's the resident historian down to the uh, Bath Maritime <laughs> Museum. Wow, it's all connected. There is, yep. Yeah. We have another phone call. Let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, guys. Uh, David here from Brooklyn. Hey, David. I'm enjoying the show like usual when I catch it. And, well, uh, it seems to be more, just, more the fault of the listeners than the MCs this week, and that's a good thing. <laughs> well, you said it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm more of a, a dreamer than a boater, i got to confess. But the guy uh, talking about the niche market, it just uh, reminded me of one of my, uh, one of my dreams which has to do with uh, offshore power generating. Now, I don't know how the boat show folks feel about that in general, but if it was to happen, apparently one of the big problems with it is the underwater transmission lines. Yeah. They're very difficult for the uh, bugs to cross, for example. And uh, so my, uh, my niche uh, market would involve storing that power in storage batteries out there where it's generated, on the platform, and uh, boating those batteries in by sail and barge. 
to all kinds of different points. You could carry quite a cargo of batteries, and I don't think they'd have to travel all that fast. It'd be pretty good ballast, and uh, it might it might work. Just a little, just a little fantasy that I huh. I think roaming around in the back of my head sometimes. It's cruel to put a fantasy to a math test, and uh, <laughs> those fellas are. Um, scheming as hard as they can now and they are going ahead with that uh the way i understand it the first um tidal generator is in the water yeah. making electricity off of of vsport right now yeah. and they are uh, working hard and fast about getting the offshore floating windmills which to me just blows me away oh, it's it such a, a difficult place to operate anything let alone a, a precision yeah. uh, windmill yeah. Yeah. um yeah. and as dave says the um Transmission line now. Our old friend uh, Mojo Nixon, he does these spoof blues. You know, he's got these uh, 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 songs about out, out underneath the power line. You know, where everything gets weird, and and of course there are fields, electrical fields uh, associated with transmission of electrical power you betcha, Mr. In, in lines, and that'll happen underwater too. There is reports of of uh, power lines on on the bottom of Long Island Sound that. Uh, lobsters don't like to cross. I have heard that. Um, so yes, uh, so kind of. Why an issue. can't you store it in batteries? Why? Why? I, you know, to me, I mean, the Gulf of Maine is not the uh, the Zyder Z or wherever they got all those ones over in Europe. Uh, by far, it's it's a lot different environment, I am sure. Uh, but if it could be done, you know, why not bring it ashore in batteries? It's just that would be my only input. But. Well, every time I'm you... going to give up because I'm just sort of filling up the time, and you guys can talk better than I can. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the show. Morning, right. Dave. Morning, David. Well, every time you change power, you lose some, for All one right. thing. And battery uh, uh, technology, I think, is not quite where it might hopefully going to yeah, be getting. They're heavy, too, so you know, there are some issues here. But, yeah, well, it's good to try to think outside of the box. We do have another phone call, so let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yes, yeah, Steve up in Southwest Harbor. How are hey, you doing Steve. this morning? I was uh, listening with interest to the gentleman that's interested in moving cargo by sail. I, it's something that we talked about an awful lot back in the 70s, and the reality is that, and, and uh, John Levitt was a good example, um, you either do it without an engine where you can get by underneath the Coast Guard, avoid the Coast Guard regs, or you deal with reality and build a vessel that meets Coast Guard requirements, and that gets very expensive very quickly which is probably the main reason nobody's doing it. A uh, heck of a dose of reality. Uh, raw faith comes to mind. She wasn't <laughs> hauling cargo, but she specifically didn't have an engine, so she wouldn't have to do the Coast Guard regulations. And the Coast Guard, of course, uh, rescued them several times, including the last time when the boat sank. So, Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate, but it, it's the reality, and it'd be, it just makes the cost too great is what I understand. I mean... If if uh, if it was practical or realistic in any sense, you'd see people trying to do it, I have no doubt. I uh, talk about flags on vessels quite a bit, Steve, and I had a, a pair of uh, powerboat captains, husband and wife, they're both uh, powerboat captains, and they were telling me that the reason not to put an American flag on a, uh, a U.S.-owned uh, power yacht is to avoid Coast Guard regulations uh, about crew and also stability and all you know everything every hoop you got to jump through. It, I don't know about the, well, it's not Coast Guard regs. I'd be willing to bet it'd be more um, um, 
insurance insurance for one yeah. thing and it would yeah there are there are it does affect the crew uh, the manning requirements and stuff like that and certainly there are advantages to foreign flagging i don't know a whole lot about it because i don't have to deal with it but um it certainly seems to be the popular way to go about it and there's all this talk about overregulation nowadays just being the you know we gotta let us free but uh the FAA is very, very strict, and planes stay in the sky, and the Coast Guard and the Navy, I think, have learned things the hard way. Yeah, it, it, when you look at the regs, and when you, when you talk to people about it, you do some research, you find that the regs end up in place because of, they, they end up there for a reason. They're not arbitrary. I mean, for that matter, the Coast Guard doesn't put into place some of the regs that they that's been recommended they do. If you look at the uh, uh, National Bureau of Transportation Safety, um, they do analyses of major accidents where people's lives are lost, and they frequently recommend stuff that the Coast Guard does not put into place because they consider it to be too onerous for the users. Um, you know, so they can go on about all the regulation they want or the lack of regulation or the need for lack of regulation, but the reality is if you don't have it, you're going to start losing people. and uh, That doesn't go over well in time. <laughs> Heard a uh, Wall Street guy one time say, uh, you know why you have brakes on the car? <laughs> and the guy says, so you can stop. And he goes, no, so you can drive fast. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have any way to stop. You, you know, when you don't have any way to regulate your speed, you'll crawl, right? Yep. Yeah. So yep. anyway, brakes uh, about going fast, not mm -hmm. about stopping. Yeah. So there. Well, thanks for the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Steve, yeah. usual suspect. Always glad to hear from you, man. We have another phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, this is Nick from Waldeboro. Hey, Nick. Uh, the fellow called in earlier about Pettit Rustlock. Yeah. That's good stuff. You're about, a metal guy, Nick. You're a welder. Yeah, about, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, I did a bunch of gear work for a new uh, small dragger, I don't know, around 40 foot, and... Um, and among other things, I made the fuel tank for it. Went back, in the, you know, under the deck in the stern. I can't remember how many gallons. Pretty good size. But at any rate, I I found out about Pettit Rustlock, and I used used it on that. And geez, it worked out great. And uh, you know, I've used it on other stuff. But uh, last week, I was making some engine mounts for a fella. For a, he's setting up an old twenty-eight foot uh, Saint and Dory. And putting a little Lister diesel in it, one-cylinder air-cooled diesel, huh. Huh. and going to use it to, and and going to use it to go out hand lining. Huh. And this is a guy that for 14 years fished in Alaska, and he was captain of a one of those freezer trawlers, you know, that 340 tons of fish. <laughs> and now he's going to go hand lining. But anyhow, um, I told him about Pettit Rustlock, and he said, and I said I'd got it while well, it was Rockland boat back then, but but Hamilton Marine now, and he said that they didn't have it. So I don't know what's going on, whether it's still available or not. From your earlier caller, hmm. it sounded like maybe it was still available, So, but it's something to look into, and for anybody listening in, it really does work well on steel. And it holds up. Well, you know, that fuel tank's been in that boat for a long time. Yep, all paint looks good when you just put it on. I like to, I like to look at how things hold up, you know. Yeah, well, it's, you know, been 25, 30 years. That'll do it. Well, yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, that fella hand line in there, I guess that's another example of a niche, yeah. uh, you know, little little industry he's there. Got, with a little uh, one-lunger, he's going to save on fuel. He's got to have himself a plan, I would imagine. And, again, 
Um, I would like to suggest that the most important job of a fisherman is not catching fish. It's selling them. <laughs> oh, know? well, that's a, that's another thing he told me that, that you know, he'd like to, he'd like to just, you know, fillet them out on the boat and get rid of the racks out there, but he can't do that. And um, so he's got to bring them in. And I guess the way the law is structured right now, he's got to sell them whole unless he sets up a, you know, an approved, inspected uh, fish processing mm-hmm. room. So, you know, that that would be an interesting thing to look into, too. Back into the regulations again and, again, yeah. keep us all, keep keep the, keeping the fresh uh, fresh fish, you know. Well, yeah, but anyhow, you know, he's looking to go after that stuff and be interested to see how that works out. He, he'll be fishing out, of, you know, right here in the mid-coast. Well, thanks, Nick. I'm about to uh, check out that Pettit Ross lo- uh, rust lock because I'm just about to look for some red lead paint. So, uh we will yeah, see. check it out. We'll be it's seeing still about around, that. It's good stuff. Possibly more in the future. Uh, uh, pretty good chance I'll have used some by by this time next month. The so. Boat Talk Test Labs. Yeah. All right. Good enough. Thank you, Nick. Yep, bye. We got one more. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. It's the Analog Anarchist. Good morning. From the land. I <laughs> like that idea with the batteries. I don't see why it's not feasible at all, and it would have some advantages for not having a transmission line to worry about. Uh, you know, route and uh, have it break, whatever, whatever. So you think uh, that the bulk of the uh, <clears throat> energy pr- produced would be able to be handled by well, Don't forget it? in World War II, that's how we ran submarines. We didn't have gel cells. They had plain old wet lead-acid batteries. Yeah, and a lot of them died when they couldn't come up to the surface <laughs> and recharge their batteries. Well... The battery technology has improved since then. Now, uh, Mr. Analog, uh, you are something of an engineer, so again, this is, uh, you know, we can test any of this stuff with some cruel math, and, and you get them exponential factors when we're talking about power generation and all the people that need to consume it and all that. Uh, I would think the equation would get dangerous fast. Oh, well, um, many, uh, uh, you know, many small buckets. Instead of uh, large uh, buckets, I mean, a whole bunch of um, smaller scale, larger number of them, uh, uh, barges or, or even a boat powered by the batteries themselves, you'll you, you lose uh, 10 or 15% of your charge, maybe just driving back and forth. Yeah, and also. You don't have any, any uh, um, hydrocarbon fuel. Um, never been an unsinkable boat either. Uh, never <laughs> been a uh, container that didn't uh, end up uh, getting knocked off a boat and into the water, uh, you know. I guess we'd have to figure we're going to lose some of them batteries, too. Hmm. Um, interesting, though. Yeah. It is. The uh, big thing, I think, with the offshore generation right now is is uh, the Stable country, uh, Company, I believe, is the name of those fellows. And they are uh, doing it successfully off of Norway right now. And the University of Maine, Habib Dogger, the uh, professor up to the University of Maine, who has been instrumental in, in the research and all this stuff, um, he is, uh, you know, uh, right gun ho on these people. They are, they are the expertise on the planet on this thing. They want to come to the Gulf of Maine, but they uh, so far, I believe, have not made a commitment to specify that they will spend those resources in the state of Maine. They have specified that they will spend certain resources in the United States, but not the state of Maine, and that's what we'd like to nail them down to, given that, uh, you know, this is what we want offshore there. Um, it's uh, fascinating. I'd love to see it. I uh, can see the windmills out to Bull Hill, out a little north of Eastbrook, Maine.
from a couple vantage points driving around Hancock County, and they, it surprised the hell out of me. They don't they don't bother me uh, out there. I kind of like the look of them, to tell you the truth, but that's mm. me. Well, i got to go find me some of that paint from a windmill tower. That sounds like a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let somebody else talk. Yeah, right, thank paint you. your batteries. Yeah, and right, the windmill you. tower in the backyard, that's uh, decentralizing the power, not trying to, uh, like, say, get it all and uh, happen in one place, ship it all in and batteries. and Awful complicated. Well, while we have no calls, I have one quick thing I sh- should fill in. Remember last month we had a caller uh, wanted to know what was happening with Raw Faith and Wheel C. Yeah. And we explained Raw Faith. Um, we'll see. I did. I say I was. I just said I was going to, and I did call up Mark Rowig, the, the raw, the wheel see uh, inventor. We'll call it, who converted a or was in the process of converting a school bus into an amphibious vehicle. He'd already done a geo car, right? Yeah, and he'd done that very successfully. And and he had gotten as far as making the school bus waterproof and had actually launched it and proved that it would float and yeah, be stable. Yeah, it's, it's not this guy's. You know, he, this guy talk about taking the taking the transmission off and welding it back in sideways. He can make that fly, okay? So, right. like you say, he did a geo, and the school bus was not just a total fantasy. Nope. If you'd like to uh, hear the original interview we had with him, you can go to the uh, Boat Talk ar- archives, which are best available right now by going to weru.org and, and uh, going to their uh, public, uh, what's it called, public radio the talk talk show archives it's in the middle of the page it's called talk show archives yep. um and look up um may 9th 2006 issue of boat talk those that, are the days yeah <laughs> may 9th 2006 is and uh, you can listen to mark but anyway uh so he launched it in the ohio river too yeah yep. okay louisville kentucky ohio river it floated Mississippi, I believe. Wasn't it? I thought it was the Ohio, okay, but, but anyway, that's a that, anyway, it was a, ri- a river, anyway. not the ocean. <laughs> yeah, and um, but then since then, unfortunately, he um, went through a divorce, which I guess sounded pretty unfriendly because during the course of the divorce, uh, the wife had the had wheel seat cut up for scrap. Now I gave her so that's gone. credit for some good sense previously because uh, he had reported that. She was interested in traveling around the world, too, but only when the bus got back to land. And I said, now that is a a kind of a sensible woman. But apparently she caused the bus to be cut up into little pieces. So now it's all gone, yes, cut up into little pieces. And how did Mark feel about that? He didn't know what was happening, did he? He didn't know until after the fact. No, he was, I guess we'll say, put it nicely, disappointed. Wow, boat dreams can crash in all kinds of different ways, and that's probably not a new take on that, but kind of, wow. So, yep, there's uh, our report from listener input. I have another one, too, but uh, I think you had one more item. I was just trying to think about, uh, you know, what song would go, what's love got to do with it? I was trying to, you know, I was about to start singing or or hug (laughs) myself and and, uh, rock back and forth. That's a sad story, man. Yeah. And it's a love story, too, in several dimensions, and that, you know, I find that upsetting. So, yeah. Well, then, um, we had a listener who contacted us through the uh, boattalk.org web- website, our Contact Us section, um, and she said she would be interested in us doing a show on uh, maintenance of Navy museum boats, and that that was something that I really hadn't thought about for at all, and did a little quick research and just what Navy Museum boats were, and 
I'm going to try to get it together for next month. I couldn't couldn't get it together in time for this show. But uh, during my course of research, I found a there is a Navy Museum boat that is fairly close to us here in Maine, and I was guessing it would be Rhode Island or Boston, but actually in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. The Albacore? The Albacore, yeah. right. It was the first submarine, first submarine that's sort of in the, uh, the shape of what submarines are now, very uh, tubular and not having the flat deck of the World War II type um, submarines. They're very cylindrical with just a sail on top. And uh, the Albacore was uh, donated to the Albacore Museum they were setting up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And they were going to haul it up on a railway, especially made and built railway to haul it up on land where it was going to just be permanently dry docked. And the cradle on the railway couldn't handle the weight of the boat and collapsed. So they had to figure out some other way to get the submarine up to where it was supposed to be on land. You know what they did? They ended up making a bunch of... uh, coffer dam locks and f- flooding flooding the thing up to a higher stage and then moving it back to the other end of the lock and then so they built a swimming pool to built float swimming it. pools it like a three, yeah. or three or four swimming pools in a row and then floated it up to where where it is now i thought that was pretty neat hey water can lift a lot of stuff you can't yeah. very easily yeah yeah and power of the it, water for people who might be nervous about visiting it it's not a nuclear submarine. Oh, it looks like the nuclear submarines nowadays. This one had what was called a, a pancake diesel engine. I'd never heard of a pancake diesel engine. The best I could figure was it was located next to the galley. Got no uh, desire to navigate under the... Uh, I call I call the ocean church, Alan. Uh, it's, it's my favorite spiritual place, uh, but I got no Underwater, desire to be yeah. under it. It's uh, I got too much uh, imagination or something. I wouldn't <laughs> make a good submariner. We do have another phone call. Let's go to that. Good morning. Oh, this is Nick again. Hi, Nick. Uh, well, you brought up the Albacore, and I was in the Navy, uh, well, from 59 to 63, and I was on the Lake Champlain aircraft carrier, and the Albacore was, uh, wait a minute, let me turn this radio thing down, because I'm getting an echo. Hang on. Um, anyhow, we were out there one time, probably around 62, somewhere in there, doing uh, war games in the Atlantic. Am I still on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and and the Albacore was out there, and we were we were an anti-sub ASW uh, outfit. I was in an aircraft squadron on this carrier. And so in these war games that lasted, I don't know, four or five days at least, maybe weeks, I can't remember. Um, at any rate, this aircraft carrier, the Lake Champlain, at one time set a speed record from Europe to to the U.S. It was pretty fast for its day. And we were steaming like crazy. Everything on that carrier was vibrating like, oh, just it was incredible. We were going fast for the size of that thing. And the Albacore was submerged, and it was going faster than we were. <laughs> Whoa. Huh. It was catching us. <laughs> That's a brute application of power, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but that Albacore is the first really fast submarine, I think. And you know, if you research it, some it, it was quite a quite a boat. It, it, yeah, it was the first of that shape, and I guess it proved that that shape was much faster than the old design. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Oh, thanks, Nick. Neat little thank boat. You. Okay, yeah. see you later. And thank you for your service. We should say too. Um, we were uh, delivering a uh, Morris Day sailor back across the Gulf of Maine a couple years back. I believe we were uh, headed down east and. 
Uh, we're out in the middle of the Gulf of Maine on a nice afternoon, all by ourselves, nobody in sight, and here comes a, a Navy P-3 Orion sub-hunting plane, the big uh, propeller-driven planes that have the tail boom hanging out the back. Oh, yeah. yeah. With uh, antenna stuff. And, and uh, so anyway, we he showed up about noon, and from noon to 3, that big plane made repeated runs on us, like a half a dozen runs, uh, mostly up from behind us, and sometimes uh, at an angle across us. And for coming about, oh, fairly low, you mean? Oh yeah, about three hours. Uh, like I say, just kept and, and coming right at us. <laughs> and the last time came right up the stern, really low, and uh, wagged the wings and waved and the whole the whole nine yards. And then left, and, and we were left wondering, now, what were they doing? Did you wave back? Oh, geez, yes. Oh, uh, like I say, we've been hanging out with those people all afternoon. Nobody in sight. Yeah. And we could only think they were out there uh, exercising. And either we were being used as a target, or perhaps there was a submarine hiding underneath us. Uh. And we can, you know, never saw... Uh, anything outrageous on the depth machine there, yeah. but uh, you know what the heck were they doing, uh, making uh, you know submarine detecting passes on us Just for three hours? Time. Yeah, and a little forty-two foot day sailor. Hmm. Yeah, be a mystery. We'll never know the answer to, but probably not. No. Yeah. Probably wishing they were being out on the water doing what just what you were doing, cruising along at what eight knots maybe. Uh, yeah, six or so, and yeah. they're, you know, of course, doing several hundred, and, and again, it's quite a sight to see coming up your, uh, your wake, and, and there's nothing, you're out of sight of land, there's not much to look at yeah, anyway. No place so, to hide, no. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was a, uh, interesting afternoon out to sea. We are coming up to the end of Boat Talk this morning, and, uh, we like to thank everybody that helped. I got another, uh, item from the news here. We talked about the fellow handline and out of the dory there, and maybe a niche fishery. From the Bangor Daily News, once again, uh, Maine ranks third out of the 30 fishing states for value of catch, and that is almost a half a billion dollars, $426.5 million. Well, lobsters are probably a big part of that. Lobsters, uh, surprisingly enough, glass eels. Was number one? No, they were they're like number two. Lobsters uh-huh. are number one. Yeah. But the uh, glass eels, uh, uh, just all out of scale. The uh, first state, of course, is Alaska, Massachusetts, number two. Uh, Louisiana and Washington be after us in the top five. Um, here's another little interesting uh, note. The uh, seafood catch this year in, in the country was the highest ever in 17 years, but the uh, federal government has just given a disaster notice to the fishery, and quotas are going to be cut hugely in the next couple of years, and they're talking about emergency funding to fishermen to make uh, so they can weather this and the fishermen will still be there when the fish come back. Mm -hmm. Um, There's big changes happening. And again, it's uh, uh, not going to be happy time with that. Statistics sort of were kind of happy, but happy time is, is, uh, boy, it's uh, not going to be happy in the next couple of years, apparently, in the fisheries. It's a hard story to cover. It's kind of a hard story to get your head around to me. But on the other side of the equation, though, I don't know if you know this or not, but Ted Ames has been appointed to the... uh, Department of Commerce, uh, Marine Advisory, Marine, Marine Fisheries Advisory Service, that people who uh, talk to the Department of Commerce about fishery issues. And you know Ted Ames, that they, uh, 
Penobscot East Resources. He's been the declared story. a genius by yeah. the MacArthur people, a and genius grant. Yeah, started out as a fisherman, so he knows the, the real story. So that might be some good news. It scares me, Alan, about the world in general, politics, money, fish, you, you, whatever. There's a lot of people love. There's a lot of people smarter than me that, that are involved in this stuff. And, and you know, and it's they, still tough. And it's still tough. Yeah. Ain't that scary? Right. We yeah. have one final phone call trying to squeak you here in, in the end for just a couple of minutes. Good morning and welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. We only have a couple of minutes left. so. All right. Well, I just wanted to say the batteries weren't that crazy of an idea, but, uh, you know, everybody's always talking about making more energy, but what about trying to use less also at the same time? Conservation is uh, a no-brainer, but again, uh, you know, be very uh, devil's advocate, tongue-in-cheek when I say an American buddy. You know, yeah, um, it's not the trend. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Though we're not hearing anything about that in the pres- presidential li- debates either, are we? Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know what are we well, really? What level of detail you want to talk about? Yeah. You know. No, it's an excellent point. Thanks for the show. I'm glad I caught it today. I don't usually get to hear it. Where are you calling from this morning? Um, I'm on Islesboro. I'm going around picking up shoreline for our, we do docks and stuff. So we pulled the float, so I'm picking up the shoreline. So I'm just driving around. Nice. All right. Yeah. Yep. Enjoy the day. All right. Good Take morning. Take it easy, guys. Nice office out there on the Alboro shoreline. Yeah. And if, I you, think- if you have to have a job and, and call it an office, that'd be a good one. Yep, and we've just about sailed right up against the end. We're out once again, kind of fooled Yeah, radio show. Uh, Thanks to Joel Mann down there in the engine room for keeping the motor going just fine. Lots of calls this morning. That's a good fun. That was a good one. I think it might uh, be a record. The number of phone calls. Yeah, sorry, Giffy wasn't here. Giffy loves when we answer the phone for the hour. Find out what his problem is. Yeah. Back to the music uh, on the wing with Rich Hillsinger and the rest of the WERU day coming up. Stay tuned for that. I survive the boat and I survive the sail, sir. I survive the pits of fish and take some home to lie, sir.